All right. Good morning. And uh, thank you, Carolyn. You're going to hear from Carolyn in just a little bit again. And um, so, so glad, so excited to be here with you this morning. Um, uh, the last service, we had a child and family dedication. We uh, had two families that dedicated four children. And, um, and I just absolutely love child and family dedication. It's parents... Uh, actually making a declaration saying that we are going to raise our children in the fear and reverence and instruction of God. Every time I see a family on the platform, on the stage, I, am, I get excited about that because it's another family that's gone through our spiritual parenting class saying that we, we, we understand our responsibility being the primary disciplers of our children, and we are publicly declaring that, um, that we, uh, we want to build faith into the lives of our children. And I just absolutely love that. But, but just because families are up here or we do family and child dedication doesn't mean that uh, those children are going to absolutely follow God. It just simply means that we're taking a step today to declare that we are going to do everything that we can to, um, to create environments where it makes it easier for our children to follow Jesus. Now, the question that probably... Um, the, the question that we all should be asking, if you're a parent or if you are um, a grandparent or if you are someone who is important or influential in the lives of individuals who have children, and that is, how do we make it easier rather than difficult to, uh, for our children to follow Jesus? This is a question that we're going to attempt to answer today. And if you have a copy of the scriptures, turn with me to Titus chapter 1, Titus chapter 1, page 998, if you're looking on the Bible that the church has provided. Now, we've been going through a series of messages in the book of Titus, and we're doing something a little differently as we do an exposition of Titus. We're actually not doing a verse-by-verse, paragraph-by-paragraph exposition we're simply allowing Titus to pick the topics for us. So last week, Pastor Jack did a phenomenal job talking about anger in a, what, what do we do? How do we stay in control in a, in a uh, culture of outrage? We've talked about, um, we've talked about um, arrogance and pride and humility and we've talked about being faithful in our marriages. Next week, you don't want to miss because we're going to be talking about what does, uh, how should a Christian view alcohol? Because it's right in the text. But today, we're going to be talking about um, how do we build faith into the lives of our children? All right? So verse number six, start at verse number five. This is why I left you in Crete, Paul is talking to Titus, so that you might put what remained in order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, Brian Williamson talked about what it means to be above reproach and to be blameless. The husband of one wife, we talked about faithfulness in marriage um, a couple of weeks ago. And then, and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery. Debauchery is an interesting word, which means reckless and wild, uh, but, um, but, uh, or insubordination. A charge of de debauchery or insubordination, that means disobedient. Now, the immediate context of this passage is talking about elders, so, so Paul tells Titus, I want you to train individuals, I want you to train men who are above reproach, whose children are believers and their children are not being accused or charged with wild living. Now, the reason why he says that is because elders are going to be um, uh, working with families, walking with families, and being an example to families. And so because of that, 
um, you, you, you can't tell one family not to have wild children, quote unquote, if your children are wild and disobedient. That's kind of the immediate context that if you have uh, disobedient children, then you're undermining your influence in the life of the church. That's the immediate context. Now, the broader context is this is for every Christian parent. This is not just for elders, but this is for everyone who says, I am a believer, and if you have children, how then do we make it easier rather than difficult for our children to follow Jesus? That's the immediate context. Paul is saying to Titus, hey, I want you to, um, I want you to help um, create this culture so that the next generation of children know Jesus and follow him. Someone has quipped that, that, that we are one generation away from Christianity being extinct. One generation, one generation without the gospel, then that generation, we become a, a culture that is po- what we call post-Christian, which I think we're experiencing a little bit of that now. So, so Paul says, build faith into the lives of your children. Now, it says, children are believers, that is characterized by reliance on Jesus for salvation. And they're not open to the charge, that is, they are not connected with or accused of associating with or being known for wild and reckless and um, and, and disobedient living. That's the, those are the words. But this passage is troubling to me. And it's troubling to me for this reason is that this text says that they should be believers. And the troubling part of this is, I cannot force my children to follow Jesus, and neither can you. There are parents who might be listening to me online or in the building. You are are sitting with a load of guilt and shame because you did everything the Bible told you to do and your children are still not following Jesus. The, The truth is that you and I cannot force our children to follow Jesus. Here, here's a news flash that is you and I have little to no control of our children, but we have a great amount of influence that you and I cannot force our children to follow Jesus. And I know you and I want to. I know that we care and love our children so much that we want to control their decisions, to control how they end up, to control their decision to follow Jesus. And the reality is we cannot. We cannot steal their agency from them. But we can create environments We can create environments that make it a little bit easier for our children to follow Jesus. We can create environments. We can have conversations. We can talk to them in such a way that it it becomes a little bit easier for them to say yes to Jesus. Ultimately, it is the Spirit of God that opens our children's eyes. But we can play a part now, granted, granted, as, as, uh, as, as long as our children are small and little, we have control, a level of control over what they do and where they go and who they befriend, and we do have some control over that. But really, the bottom line is that the moment they leave your house, I don't know if you knew this, the moment they leave your house, when they go to school, You don't know what they're doing. I remember, I remember when, um, when the Harry Potter books came out, I read all of the Harry Potter books. I read them all 
because I wanted to understand what everybody was talking about, that you cannot read. You shouldn't let your children read the Harry Potter books because there's all kinds of sorcery and witchcraft and all of those things in there. The, the later parts of the books, they do have that. And yet the first several books, I, uh, I, I did not necessarily see that. But what I, I, what I did, I talked to a number of parents who tried to control their children and tried to prevent them from reading the books. And you know what their kids did? At night, under the covers, with the flashlight, they read the books. Or they went to the library at school and read the books. As opposed to having a conversation about the books, their parents who tried to control. The reality is we can raise our children in church. We can send them to youth group. We can send them to Bible camps. We can send them on mission trips. And we are not guaranteed that they will follow Jesus. Well, wait a minute, Marvin. Wait, wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. Wait a minute. The Bible says that if I raise them in church, if I take them to Sunday school, if I take them to vacation Bible school, if I send them to camp, then God has a promise. He's promised me that if, if they ever fall away, they will come back. God promised us that. Well, that's, and, they, and many parents use this verse, Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6, train up a child in the, way, uh, in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. And this is what we think this passage means. That if we're faithful to, to our parental responsibilities, then it guarantees the product of godly children. That's what we think that passage means. That somehow if we do everything that God tells us to do, that if we raise our child, our children correctly, he or she will come back to God eventually. That's what we think it means. So that if they stray away, then somehow they will come back. And so there are a number of parents who are holding on, holding on to hope that I've done everything I was supposed to do and I'm just waiting for them to come back to God. Now, believing what we think this passage means, it produces needless guilt. Because there are parents who say, well, well, my kids stray. Did I did I pray enough? Did I did I did I did I did I take every response? Did I take every opportunity that was there to raise my child in a way that he or she should go? Did I pray enough? Did I do enough? Did I? It was yep. It was that one time that I didn't read to them at night. That was the reason why they strayed. Not only does it produce needless guilt, but I think it's foolish pride. In other words, it's like, listen, we've crossed every T and we've dotted every I. God owes us. He or she will come back. And I think it also produces a false hope. I know they'll go away, they stray, they'll sow their wild oats, but they will come back to God. Now, now, the interesting thing about this is that's what we think it means. But what that passage actually means, the passage, uh, Proverbs 22 and 6, what it actually means, it says, train up a child in the way he should go. In other words, what the writer, that the, the writer of Proverbs says, train up a child according to how God has wired him or her. Train up a child with wisdom and discernment the way, they, the way their DNA is constructed by God, the, whether they are introverts or extroverts, whether they are talkers or non-talkers, or whether they are a little bit more out, train up a child in the way God has wired your child, the way God has wired my child. And when we do that, we lead our children according to wisdom, 
will will know how to parent them. Here's a here's a verse. Here's a verse. Um, the question is, how do we know? How do we know our child's bent? How do we know our children's wiring? How do we know how God has gifted and wired them? Well, there's a verse in Proverbs, Proverbs 20 and 11. It's not going to be on the screen. I'll read it. You can write it, take it, uh, write it in your notes. Even a child is known by his doings, whether his work be pure or whether it be right. In other words, We can know our children by their actions. We can know who they are just by watching what they do. So so when we look at our children, and my children are here today, you're going to hear from them in a few minutes, all of them have different personalities, totally different personalities. And, and it was up to Tanya and I to watch what they do in order to lead and direct them. My baby, my youngest, is quiet and deep. Not to say that the other ones aren't deep. They're, they're, they are loud, but they're deep too. But Michaela is quiet, but when she talks, like stuff comes out of her mouth. Like good, like 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 stuff. Like whoa, where did that come from? But it it took us time. So so she she's a little bit more quiet. So we don't put her like out in the front. During our family meetings, I tried to get her to talk first. She said, "No, I don't want to talk first. She's a processor. Micah, on the other hand, just whatever comes up comes out. <laughs> He's grown though. And I, I, I just, I love the way God has wired our children differently. Listen to what they say. Study them. Pray for discernment. So train up a child in the way he should go, according to their bent, according to their wiring. And here's where we get, here's where we get hung up. When he is old, he will not depart or she will not depart. We think that's a promise. We think that if, the, if our child strays away, then God has promised and guaranteed that before they die, they will come back to their training. But we forget that this passage in Proverbs 22 and 6, it is not a promise, but a proverb. And a proverb is a pithy saying, a a short saying that is generalized. It is not a promise to the people of God. This is generally true, not always true. Does that make sense? Because that's where we get hung up. And I think that's where we like, like God promised me. Why, why, why did my child not come back to the training? Why did, why did he not or why did she not come back to God before they passed away or before something uh, unthinkable happened? It is a sometimes a forgotten distinction. It is a proverb, not a promise. So the only thing that you and I have agency over is how we show up to our children. How we show up, whether we, how we model what it means to follow Jesus, what we say, how we forgive, how we love one another, how we care about one another. And so I want to, I want to, I want to lighten the room right now because there are some who are, you're loaded down with the heaviness of, of guilt and shame and wondering, did I do enough? Did I pray enough? Did I do everything that I was supposed to do? Now, again, Again, we're not perfect parents and we fail and our children are not perfect children and, we, and they fail. The true and the, the reality is, is that every single person will have to make a decision to follow Jesus 
for themselves. You cannot want it more than they do. And you cannot, you and I cannot control their decision to follow Jesus. But what we can do is create environments. We can, we can create environments by our actions that make it easier rather than harder to follow Jesus. All right, so what, what we're going to do now, I'm going to ask Carolyn to come back uh, to the platform, and I'm going to invite my kids to come up. And um, here's a moment of vulnerability. Um, and how did Tanya and I make it easier? And what are some things we did to make it more difficult for them to follow Jesus? What did, what did we get right and what are some things we got wrong in helping them to follow Jesus? All right, listen, y'all act like, act right, all right? No. <laughs> yeah, I promised them lunch afterwards, so, uh, so have at it. Very good. All right. Well, as you listen to our conversation here, I do want you to consider whether you have children in your home, whether you are a parent, whether you have influence in the lives of a, of a child or a young adult. And honestly, if you have the opportunity, maybe you're discipling someone, the opportunity to influence someone else. All of this is true. We can't control someone's, we can't transform someone else's heart. In the years of teaching spiritual parenting, that's one of the key lines is, it's not my job to transform the heart of my child or my spouse or my friend or my coworker. But what I can do is create environments. So whether you are a parent or whether you are, have the opportunity to influence another, all of these things um, can have great application. So let's start off, just a little introductions. Um, name, where you fit in the family, what you're doing in life. Take it away, Ashton. Well, hello, I'm Ashton. I'm the one that kind of might possibly, depending on how you look at it, stick out a little bit. Uh, I was engrafted in, so I'm the engrafted in one. Um, but I get the honor to be a minister in training on the south side of town at City Life Lansing, if you're familiar, another church in, uh, in our wonderful city. What's up? I'm Micah. I am the middle child, right? And I work over in Detroit at a place called Central Detroit Christian. We're a Christian Community Development Corporation. I'm the youth director over there. And uh, this is a topic I've been thinking about a little bit uh -oh. because me and my beautiful uh -oh. wife are 14 weeks uh -oh. pregnant. Uh-oh. Uh -oh. Fantastic. Fantastic. Pray for me. There you go. Follow that up, Michaela. <laughs> yeah, mine isn't as uh, crazy. Um, but I, <laughs> I'm the, the youngest and the only girl, so definitely an interesting fit. Um, but <laughs> I'm a junior at Wayne State in Detroit studying criminal justice. And yeah. And hey, everybody. I am Marvin Jr. I am the oldest, and I am currently teaching high school Bible at Lansing Christian, just right around the corner over there. So that's a lot of fun. All right. So we'll start off. When you think about your years growing up, what did your parents do right? Or maybe another way to say it, how did they make it easy for you to follow Jesus? We can do popcorn style. Whoever wants to jump in first. I'll just, I'll just hop in. I, I, I began this, last, this question last time too. Um, three words, prayer, prayer, prayer. <laughs> um, I cannot tell you the amount of times that my parents have come up to me personally, even recently, but particularly, you know, when we were growing up in, in their, in their um, parenting leadership, all that stuff, that they would continue to say, we're praying for you, we're praying for you, we're praying for you, because... I mean, we all have had different journeys, and it needs prayer, a lot of prayer. And so just the blessing that it was for our parents to talk to God about us and for us um, influences our lives tremendously. Yeah, and I think one big thing that I've really been thinking about the last couple of years is just through seeing a lot of these different students who we're working with in Detroit 
And right now, we probably have about 175 middle and high schoolers registered in our program. And probably 20 of them have a household where both of their parents are together, where they know their dad, where they know their mom, whatever it looks like, right? And those 20 kids instantly, as soon as they walk through the door, I don't even have to ask. You can tell because there's just something different about them. There's something where they can understand rules. They can understand the authority and a reverence for God, right? They understand how to work in a loving relationship. And so sometimes we're like, oh. Oh, it's so complicated. You got to do 32 devos every single month. And da, da, da. But it's simply just like, man, we are just having a loving relationship from my parents that I got to see 20, well, they've been 28 years. I see 23 years of it. Um, and it is just, I think that has absolutely been monumental. And then the second thing is um, this little passage right here in Matthew chapter 19. It says, then the little children were brought to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and pray. But the disciples rebuked them. Jesus said, leave the little children alone. Don't try to keep them from coming to me because the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. And it says the little children were brought to Jesus, right? And I think that was really powerful and what our parents did continually growing up is like even though the disciples were rebuking them even though it was probably a long journey the parents were the one who brought these children to Jesus they didn't just wake up one day three years old hop on a donkey go get some lunch and go say Jesus can you lay some hands on me right no no these these children were brought by their parents to Jesus and that's something our parents did every single week right my mama was like hey look you I don't care what you wear you can come to church naked but you going to church so it was it's just is continually bringing us to Jesus, and eventually one day we were like, oh, I remember all those things we were taught, and started applying it to our life. Yeah, and to piggyback off that, I love that, because that passage that you shared, Micah, um, I think the thing that had one of the most monumental, like, just impacts in my life was the ability to have a listening ear. You know, I, like, similar to probably Micah, too, we're both people that lean on the passionate and communicating side of, like, the personality test, meaning we talk a lot. (laughs) And so with that meaning, like, as we get the opportunity to be in ministry, all of us in some way, part-time, full-time, whatever it may be, you come home pretty tired. And, and I guess like as a child or as a younger adult, I hadn't realized how tiring it was because it'd be around like 10.55 p.m. And I'm like knocking on Papa Williams' door. That's who he is to me, Papa Williams. And I'm like, Papa Williams, yo, so I was, think- I was reading this earlier today and I'm just wondering, what do you think about this? And yo, so I was thinking like baptism. Like, what do you think about that? And like, yo, so I'm trying to process these thoughts and whatever. And every single time, whether or not he was on Twitter, MSU fan page, whatever it was he was scrolling through, he'd set it down, he'd make eye contact, he'd have a conversation. Mama Williams was more, her cutout time was after 9 p.m., she's out for the count, so you talk to her in the morning. And, uh, and when you have a conversation with her in the morning, and, um, but it was always a listening ear. It was never, it was never this. It was always, yo, like these are the, le- like these child, these children are mine. Like I see myself in them and so come to me. It was never this. And I think that, that was one of those monumental things for me. Yeah, um, for me, it was a lot of um, them allowing me to just take the opportunities to actually grow in my faith. Like, I went to every summer camp for youth group, and I also went on, like, every mission trip that was offered. Like, I'm still going on mission trips. I'm going to Columbia. And, like, but, but like, every time they just support it, even if they might be, like, worried about me, whatever, like, area I'm in, I don't know. But, like, they never, I never saw any hesitation about them, like, letting me go. They're just like, um, well, I mean, you, you do have to raise like your own money, but like, but like, you can go as long as you get the money and like, and you'll be fine. And they just like, and they just really showed me that it doesn't really matter because because like, if you're doing it for the Lord, then it's just then it's like, well, then just do it. Like, there's no reason really not to, unless He told you not to. So, I think that was the biggest thing for me. Those are great. So I hear they created environments and. Uh, enabled opportunities for you to grow in your faith. They gave you full attention, that fully present. I think, especially for us now, those little devices in our pockets can be very distracting. Um, Prayer, their own example of their faith, of their marriage, all of those things. We can do those things, can't we, friends? We totally can. Okay, now, you're not up here because your parents did it perfectly or because you're perfect kids. So what would be some things that you think your parents could have done better? It's okay, right? Marvin, it's all right for us to go there? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Were there things that they could have done? Now you're a little bit older, looking back, and we we don't expect Marvin and Tanya to have done it perfectly. So 
What might have been some things that you think, maybe it was because of who you are as a person, that training in a way they should go. Maybe it is. I mean, I, I have four kids myself, and they are each different. You can't, and boy, do I wish there was a formula and just a one-step yeah. or ten-step plan to, to do, make this happen. But what do you think your parents could have done differently? How could have, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a hard one, you know what I'm saying? Because if I was up here at eight years old, I would have been like, man, what they could have done differently is let me stay up all night and eat some candy, you feel me? And like, yeah, we didn't have enough but pizza. Like now, <laughs> but now looking back at it, I was like, you know what? That was probably right that I went to bed at 8.30, right? And, uh, but one thing, though, I do think uh, they could have done differently is I can remember vividly. I think Marvin was in second grade, and he had this crush on this girl who went to the YMCA named Brianna. And then they would always, make fun of him and he they'd be like Marvin love Brianna Marvin love and I just remember that moment though I was like I never want them to make fun of a feeling that I have and so therefore I was far more reserved in sharing my feelings with them and so when maybe something was maybe a little more difficult I was like I, I don't want them to make fun of it because because this was I mean yeah like it's a first grade crush like is that gonna mean anything to him 20 years later no but like it meant the world to to him then right and it meant the world to me then all these different feelings of like I brought like up some type of drama in middle school or whatever, where it was like, oh, it's just a little, it's, it's nothing. But it's like, no, this is my world. Like, these are all the friends that I have right now, and this is monumental. And I think that was something that I always can remember of, like, I think sometimes they would brush some of those little things off that now, in retrospect, it was like, no, that was little. But I think it led to me being more reserved of sharing different problems that would come up in my life with them. That's really good. So the power of our words, I think even the power of our facial expressions, that's one I had to learn. This yeah. face tells a lot. Even if the words that I'm saying um, I think are okay, this communicates a lot too. Yeah. So yeah. other things. Yeah. You know, I would say something similar. Um, I think, because <laughs> like, so, like I'm a pretty big night owl, so I won't talk like usually a lot during the day but like at night that's when I'll like talk a bit more but then like sometimes if I actually want to share something and then like people aren't paying attention then I'm just like ah, it doesn't really matter mm. and so I think that's how I and I think that was kind of something with my parents because they're also very solution oriented and not just like listening which isn't a bad thing which it, it can be good it can be good but like but sometimes I'm just like no I just want you to listen I don't need like a solution and so like so like after I'm done talking they'll be like well I mean you can do this I'm like I know but I don't really feel like doing that right now and so I think that was so I've also been more reserved too I think I'm still more reserved I am I know that but like, but yeah I think that was something just um like just more being in the moment and just like listening and being like, okay, what do you need? And not just like, oh, well, I know what you can do. And it's like, yeah, I don't need that. So I think that was a big thing. That's really good. And every parent in here says, uh-huh. Because we don't want our kids to go through hard stuff. We want to help you. But, and again, whether that is our child or someone we're discipling, someone we have influence over, sometimes the best thing is just to listen and to give that full attention. Great example, Michaela. Hey, they did really good. I think what's cool is I... Uh, no, I'm just kidding. No, they, they That's definitely... why you picked them. Exactly, exactly, right? You know what I mean? He went lunch. <laughs> hey, I'm going to eat. He's working for Trying to get lunch. me in trouble, Caroline. Get out of here. No, so no, I, I, it's cool because I'm, I'm going to bounce back and forth as well because obviously I have a biological mom who had passed away after I graduated high school. Um, but this summer after I graduated high school. And obviously that was monumental. Um, and growing up, you know, we didn't grow up necessarily in the church. And so there was a lot of things that were problems. And I think one of the things that I had struggled with in just terms of like parenting and just like relating would be probably there was a level of relatability and wanting to know, but there was sometimes in my, as a kid, like I grew up too quick, I think sometimes, you know, there was just an introduction to things that I honor my mom. My mom was a hard worker. Like, and I, I want to go there first. She like three jobs. She, you know, I mean, single mom, she made it happen. She dropped us off at school at like 530. So then she could go to work. Like we're outside of Hazla High School, like freezing our butts off, like all the time. So she went above and be like above and beyond. I love her. But I think sometimes there was some things that because of the circumstances that we could have like, you know, hide it, but it allowed me to see things at a, at a younger age that maybe I shouldn't have seen. 
which then now to this now there's I've realized there's things in my personality where like oh I have a I have a fear to money sometimes you know like oh I oh I gotta make sure and I'm in ministry like m- money is not my like that's not my motive so sometimes like that's a really really important thing to realize oh I grew up a little bit quick because maybe a little bit too much was shown that was the one thing that I think had come to my mind okay another question um, you've all obviously made a commitment to Christ and. Has your, I'm assuming your relationship with Christ hasn't always just been up and to the right. There probably have been times, and would you share about that, the roadblocks to your faith, um, some bumps in the road, maybe some doubts that you experienced, and how your parents um, came alongside you in that, in good ways or or maybe more challenging ways? Yeah, Yeah, for me, um, there was a specific moment, um, I, I, I remember this vividly, it was a whole school year, my junior year of high school. And that's, you know, like where a lot of the students were like, whoa, junior year, that's where you get all the testing and all these things. But um, one of the things that I experienced when I was at Hazlitt was our world religions course. And, you know, being PKs or pastor's kids, you know, you all you know is Jesus, the Bible, and Christianity. But then when I got exposed to all these different world religions, I kind of had a crisis of faith where I'm like, oh my goodness, everything that I've known is being challenged. And so having to figure out and wade my way through all of my emotions, and I remember reading all of these atheistic books and all these different things because I'm really wrestling with my faith. And my parents' response was one prayer, but they also allowed for my questions to come out. They didn't try and, you know, sweep it under the rug, or they didn't try to say, just, you know, keep going to church and, you know, everything will be okay. But they allowed for the rough and the raw to come out. And in that context, my dad has shared this a lot, but that was when the Lord spoke to me directly about beginning a Bible study in our parents' basement. And it was in the context of me wrestling. It was in the context of their prayers. And it was in the context of them allowing for an environment for real questions to be asked that the Lord actually broke in and spoke to me directly. And then now my life has changed from that and many other people's lives are impacted from that is because they allowed for the questions to come out and they didn't try and force anything down my throat so that I'm, you know, just trying to put a band-aid over it, but they allowed for my questions and my growth to develop naturally, um, which I was very appreciative of. Yeah, yeah. yeah and I think uh, that that's really good. And I, in a similar time frame of me, from it was my senior year of high school where I think Parents, I think there's a hard balance of like, I really want this for my kid, but I don't want to be domineering of, thing, of something that I really want for them and I think is a better solution for them. And I think my senior year, like, I, you know, I was all into wrestling. I was like, man, I'm about to win a state championship. I'm about to go to college and wrestle. I'm about to go to the Olympics. I'm about to be a wrestling coach and die on a wrestling mat. They're going to bury me under it, just going to be a lump on the ground or something. Like, I don't know what I wanted, right? That's exactly what I wanted to do. But then it comes to the end of my junior year, I break my right foot. Then that summer, I break my left foot. Then I get back off the crutches and I break my neck. And it was like, dog, like I haven't wrestled for a year now. And I don't, I don't know what to do anymore. This is what I put all my eggs in a basket for. This is what I spent all my hours of my day. Every single YouTube video was some type of wrestling training move, whatever. Um, and now I don't, I have no direction and I'm incredibly depressed, throwing my Bible across the room. I have, I want nothing to do with the Lord. And it just was just this gentle coming alongside me and be like, hey, have you even considered another option for your life? Have you considered doing anything other than wrestling, right? And just these text messages and links to different colleges. I'm like, Mom, they don't have a wrestling team over there. And she's like, yeah, but I think you do well there. And just, just this considering of, like, what else may God have for my life that I was so stuck on and that I couldn't see because my emotions were just so high that I couldn't listen, that I couldn't see anything that God was moving and shifting in my own heart. And I think they, they directed me really, really gently because I'm a very stubborn kid. And they directed me very gently into another path that, that I truly believe that's where the Lord was calling me to. But I don't think if it had been them coming alongside me, I would have been able to see that. 
Yeah, that's really good, Micah. I think uh, with in, in my circumstance, you know, again, I'll kind of go back back and forth. So roadblock in my faith. Well, I got saved in high school, and so and I, I we didn't grow up in the church. So I'm coming home trying to ask my mom a trillion questions, like, did Adam and Eve have belly buttons? Did did I prove the resurrection? And my mom's just like, you know, like, oh man, she's you know again work hard worker. She's like, man, that's so sweet. And she actually didn't like lead with her insecurities. She actually, because in her case, she actually didn't have any of the answers. And instead, she pointed them in, me in the right direction. So she had pointed me to Papa William. She pointed me to Google. She said, have you thought about Googling it? And I was like, that's a valid, that's a valid solution. Let me check. And, but seriously, like, that was a lot of her approach as opposed to being like, oh, I don't know, and try and make something up that she doesn't know. Um, she actually just led with what she does, and she knows that other people know more than her in that, in that subject. And so that was really helpful. She didn't lead with her insecurity. And I think on the contrary, or on the other side, is when, when she had passed away, that was a massive roadblock. You know, like that was a circumstance that really sucked. And what was really helpful is the open arms that was provided. I think, you know, just inviting me in and saying, like, you know, I know it's hard. Yo, hey, we're going to practice this. Hey, all the questions you're thinking, all the fears, all the, all the doubts, all the insecurities, guess what? Hey, your kids, we're going to be their grandparents. Like, this is what they were saying to me. And to me, I believed it. And I looked at him and I was like, word, okay, cool. Like, I'm living in West Africa. And I'm like, hey, I don't know where I'm going to stay when he gets back. He's like, that's a dumb question. You're staying at our house. And I was like, you're right. My bad. That was stupid. And, but, it was, but it was serious. Like, that, was, that meant a lot because they came alongside. I love all of that wisdom. Did you catch all of that? One, it, inviting someone in to experiencing your own family culture. That might be a powerful next step that God's calling you to. The not being afraid of the questions, either in Marvin's case or in Ashton's. It wasn't, oh, we don't, we don't question that. Or, oh, no, we don't talk about that. Nope. Not being afraid of those questions. Directing them to sources for answers and, and the prayer going along with it. I mean, that had to have been pretty scary for Marvin and Tanya to have uh, Marvin Jr. looking into all these other religions, like, whoa, hold on. And yet they weren't afraid of that, praying him through it, answering the questions. And circumstances, we don't want our, our kids to face challenges, but they, they happen. And how Marvin and Tanya guided you through, didn't force you, didn't say, this is where we're going but guided you, helped you come to your own conclusions. Those are powerful, powerful explanations. So as we wrap up, something that you still wanted to say, some advice that you would have um, from your own experience, or maybe, Michael, you've, and actually several of you working with students, what advice would you give to parents or people who are looking to influence someone in the next generation? What, what might be some closing advice that you might have yeah yeah I think not just the event thing right I think it's easy to have a pastor as your dad and be like oh we always go to Sunday service and we always go to youth group and we always show up for these things but it's really a lifestyle thing and I think that's one of the big reasons why I it was easy to follow Jesus when it was coming to when it was easy to make that decision or easier to make that decision because I had seen it lived out and not just on a Sunday morning right and I I think we see this in uh, Numbers chapter 6, verse 5. And it says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These words I am giving you today are to be in your heart. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Bind them as a sign on your hand and let them be a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your city gate. So this faith that we have, that faith that you all have as parents, as grandparents, as aunties, as uncles, it cannot just only exist in these four walls here at Trinity, but it has to be an everyday thing that I think really as I observed my mom and my dad doing this, right, as we just would go to the movies every single time we get in the car, and my dad's like, yeah, hey, yo, what did you, where did you see Jesus in that movie? I'm like, oh, no, that was Transformers. <laughs> I can't tell you, but, but now, it, I mean, every single day now, everything that I look at through a different lens of, like, I am looking for where Jesus is in the everyday, the mundane of the lives, and how trees grow, and how the grass withers and stuff, and, and how I interact with other people, man. I look for Jesus in everything, and has absolutely shaped me, even when I did not want to hear it, even when I brought up a problem, and my mom was like, just pray about it, son. I was like, mom, please, just give me, a, give me something else, but, man, those are always the most solid answers, and it was that way that they trained us, that now I just can't even turn away from it so 
is huge. Yeah, I yeah, th that's super, super good. Super good. The, just as for concluding thoughts, as um, they were talking, what the two the two words that kind of came to mind for me personally was just gentleness and grace. You know, just the power of gentleness from a parent. Um, and I know sometimes, you know, kids do need some roughhousing sometimes because it's like, okay, you know, get, get your act together. But genuinely, just the uh, what a kind word and a gentle word does to um, a child, because, you know, we're all insecure at some level and some stage, and so we're all trying to figure out life and all of these things and the power of just gentleness and grace and just allowing for space um, for kids to mess up. I mean, really, that's, that, that's how we begin to learn. And so just gentleness and grace goes a long way when it comes to um, encouraging children in the way they should go. Yeah, and I think uh, another thing I would add is what's cool is if you look up, not one of us regularly attend Trinity Church on a Sunday morning. And I think that's kind of profound, but we all follow Jesus. You know, these two are in Detroit. He's going to SOCC. I'm at City Life Lansing. And a lot of times people come up to me and be like, yo, so is that kind of like, let me, is that weird? Like, you know, like <laughs> Marvin Williams, like he's the pastor of Trinity. Is that weird? And, I, and just like the response at all times is just always like, no, not really at all, actually. Because I know that they have given us something in which they've trained us. They've said, hey, yo, love the Lord with everything you got and go and do it. Just go and do it. Go wherever you are. If it's in Detroit, go and do it. Change Detroit for like, make it more like heaven. If it's east side of the town, go do it more like heaven. If it's the south side of town, go do it more like heaven. And I think that level of, it's, there's zero pressure. There's just a, when we had the conversation, hey, you know, I want to go work at City Life. He's like, good. Is, did God tell you? Did, does it feel confirming in your heart? I'm like, yeah. All right, cool. Go run. And it's just, there's a level of go and do it. And I think that is one of the most beautiful things that's uh, been implanted in all of us. All right. Thank you, Williams kids. This was very, very helpful and some awesome wisdom for all of us. Marvin, you want to come on up and wrap our service? So you all do get lunch this afternoon. So, yeah. uh, man, thank you. I cannot thank you all enough. Um, and and I, I try to do this objectively. Um, even if you were not my kids, I would want you to be my kids. And um, so I just, I just, I just so appreciate. <laughs> yeah, thank you. thank you. We did not get it right all the time. They just couldn't think of all the wrong stuff we did. <laughs> no pressure from me. Um, there are so many things we could have done differently. Um, we should have made Marvin continue to play the piano. He was good at it. <laughs> um, and, and, and so the ultimate, if you're a parent or a grandparent or a single person who are influencing people with children, our job is not to force. Our job is to pray and to pray like crazy that God raises up the next generation who are on fire for Jesus. Because I'm just a few years, you're just a few years before you go off the stage. And, and Titus, but Paul tells Titus, train up individuals who child, whose children are following Jesus. Let's create the environments at home, here, and beyond. Let's model what it means to follow Jesus. Let's talk about it on the way as we lie down, as we wake up, talk about who Jesus is and what he's done. Now, if you're a parent and you say, man, I've not done that. I wish I could turn the clocks back. We have a father. We have a father who is so forgiving, and he gives chance after chance after chance after chance. It's not too late for you to not only influence your own children, because it's, it's, you're not responsible for how your children respond to you. You're responsible for how you respond to them. 
That is your responsibility. And if, if your kids are gone, or maybe they, 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 um, they probably, if, if they are deceased, ask God for someone else you can begin to influence. And let's change the world together as we pray for our kids, as we open our lives up to our kids, and as we encourage them to continue to follow Jesus. I'm going to ask the elders and uh, prayer team members if you can come down front, if you're going to be praying for people, uh, if you can come down front now. Uh, we're so grateful for you. And if you have a prayer need or prayer request, um, our friends uh, down, uh, down front, they're here to pray with you and pray for you. Let's stand together and let's ask God's blessing over us. So yeah, God, we admit as parents and children, we sometimes bypass each other. We talk over each other, we yell at each other, scream at each other. There are days where, God, we, we, um, man, we just throw up our hands and we don't know what to do. And so, first of all, we thank you for these gifts that you've given us as parents and grandparents. They are so precious to you. And they're precious to us. And we ask for a greater sense of discernment on how to lead them well. Forgive us for all of our missteps. Forgive us for all the times where we have broken covenant with you and it's leaked and spilled over into their lives and, and they feel angry at us and at you for the way we've modeled or not modeled well how we, um, how we should live. Yet you give us chance after chance, grace upon grace, and we, we ask right now for an extra measure of grace. We ask right now for an extra measure of wisdom. We ask right now for revival to break out, starting with us. We ask for revival to break out with our kids, and we ask that you would lay your hands upon our children. We ask that you would bless them. You would set them ablaze to be in love with you, in love with your word, in love with a lifestyle that honors you so that when the world looks at our children, they will see you. And we ask that you would keep our kids sober physically um, as well as spiritually and morally. We ask that you would keep their minds pure 